Hey there, and welcome to the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. Each week, we'll lean in and learn together what it means to live it well. Yeah, and you're going to hear from some amazing inspirational leaders, mentors, and friends that have impacted our life on a personal level. Leaders like John Eldridge. You've got to know your story. What was it I once dreamed of? Suzanne Stabile. Once we can accept our difference, we can find what we hold in common. And Aaron Nequist. We want to be a community that doesn't just believe things about Jesus, but learns how to rearrange our lives to put his words into practice for the sake of the world. Thanks for joining us. We're so glad you're here. Let's get started. We have been counting down the days for this one, guys. On today's episode, we're talking with Aaron Nequist. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you've heard us rave about Aaron's wife, mm-hmm. Shauna's book, Present Over Perfect. And now we're definitely adding Aaron's book mm-hmm. to that list as well. It's called The Eternal Current, How a Practice-Based Faith Can Save Us from Drowning. Aaron has served as a leader at some of the most influential churches in the country, including Mars Hill and Willow Creek. We talk with Aaron about the highs and lows of his faith journey from almost losing his faith entirely to finding a newer, deeper way forward. You're going to want to make sure you listen all the way to the end when Aaron shares some of the most helpful advice on how to love someone well through a crisis of faith. Yeah, it's such a good one, guys. Oh, man. We got so much out of this, and we know you will, too. Get ready. Here's Aaron. All right. Well, Aaron, welcome to the podcast. So glad you're here with us. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks man. for joining us. So many great things to talk about. But before we get going, for our listeners who don't know you yet, would you take a minute, tell us a little bit more about yourself, who you are, and what you do? Oh, wow. Okay. Do you want me to start all the way at the beginning or <laughs> just right now? Or, you know, it was in the 1970s. Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad met. Right. Yeah. <laughs> No, I've been a worship leader for many years in largely evangelical spaces and really have really enjoyed that in so many ways. In the last probably five plus years, been moving more into the more liturgical streams, but not just trading it out, trying to go both and, Mm -hmm. you know, um, modern and ancient, standing on our chairs, lifting our hands in praise and kneeling in silence and trying to widen that a little bit. And so uh, we started a kind of modern contemplative, uh, not neo-contemplative, <laughs> in case you Google it, but uh, <laughs> service at Willow Creek about five years ago, and uh, that was quite a, an adventure. And then recently had just have just written a book sharing that story and kind of my journey and all that. So does that? Yes. That what you're looking Can you for? tell us a little about your family too? Absolutely. Um, (laughs) My wife is Shauna, and we have two boys, almost 12 and almost seven. So Henry's almost 12. He's in sixth grade. And Mac is almost seven. He's in first grade. We've lived in Chicago our whole lives, and we just actually decided we are moving in January to New York City. That's so exciting. And yeah, we're going to, both Shauna and I are uh, jumping into general seminary. We're going to get our master's and just live so in, in that wild city. So Go we're, for we're it. really fired up. I yeah. love that. What do the kids yeah. say? What are the kids? Are they excited? <laughs> you know, it's funny. The older one is the real, like, careful mm-hmm. uh, security. You know that kid, mm-hmm. and the younger kid is just a madman, wild <laughs> extrovert. So we thought, okay. Henry is going to have a real problem. Mac is going to be like, let's go tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it was the exact opposite, which is fascinating. Henry was really earnest, but then he figured it out and he's like, I want to go. This is great. Mm -hmm. And Mac, our little wild man extrovert was just like, nope, not talking about it. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck without me. Yeah, Yeah, I'll be right here. You guys can do what you want, but I'm doing it. Oh, But he'll come around, I'm sure. He will. He's he's halfway there. Mm -hmm. He's now consenting to the fact that he is going to go oh, that's good. <laughs> but it's going to be terrible yeah. so he's not going to like it but he will go but he'll go <laughs> so. oh that's so exciting just tell him about yeah. those bird scooters everywhere yeah that's right ride, ride so many adventures town. yeah that's yeah. so cool that's awesome well we're so excited that you've joined us today and i'm just a little bit fired up about this book okay the All eternal right. current for people who are listening it's called the eternal current how a practice-based faith can save us from drowning And I just have to tell you, some books come along 
at just the right time huh. and they just hit you. And this is one of those for us. Mm-hmm. We just mm. needed it. We needed to hear you are not alone and you are not crazy. And yeah. I am hoping today that people listening will feel the exact same way. So we want to jump right into it. Tell our listeners what it's about and kind of the journey that landed you to writing it. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much. Um, well, The Eternal Current is basically two themes. It's about my move from thinking the invitation of Christ is all about beliefs, mm-hmm. you know, from a beliefs-based faith where Jesus is basically saying, hey, believe these four or five things and then say a prayer and you can go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole story. To coming to believe that it is way more about the practices that we are invited to participate with Christ. So from a beliefs-based faith to a practice-based faith. The invitation is participation. I say a lot in the book. Um, So there's that move. But then the other move is from thinking that my little faith tradition is the entire story of God to realizing that my tradition is good and true and beautiful, but it is only one little slice of this huge Christian story that's been going on for obviously generations and generations. And so those are kind of the two movements, but it all started in my young 20s when my faith completely imploded. I think that's like the first sentence of chapter one. (laughs) (laughs) I was a worship leader. I'd grown up in a Christian family, gone to Christian college, got a job at a church that I loved. And like a year or two in my faith ended, Mm. which is very complicated (laughs) when you're a worship leader leading songs you no longer believe. Mm. And so that kind of sparked this whole, um, either either I'm done, like maybe just, Christianity was a good thing that my parents gave me for, you know, the first 20 years, and now I'm going to do something new, or I had to find another way. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of sparked this journey. Absolutely. So I love that you say the invitation is participation with him, not just belief of him, but participation. You use this metaphor of the river, that we're not to just be studiers of the river, but become actual swimmers. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. I mean, Jesus didn't say, here is the truth, believe it. Jesus said, I am the truth, follow me, yeah, join me. Yeah. You know, the, the analogy you're talking about, the river, this is kind of the analogy of the whole book, the eternal current. And I'm just trying to say, there is this great river flowing throughout all creation towards the redemption and restoration of all things. This is what God is doing. God is sweeping everything toward a new heaven and a new earth where he's going to put all things back together. And so Jesus comes and says, let me tell you about that. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. It's where the lost are found. It's where the poor are fed. It's where those in bondage are lifted up. It's where the oppressed are finally set free. You know, so Jesus is talking about what it looks like. And then, you know, like we've been saying, Jesus doesn't just say, so I hope you believe that's true. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, you know, read the Sermon on the Mount. It's do this. In fact, the last paragraph of the Sermon on the Mount is that famous, if you hear my words and put them into practice, you are like a wise man building his house upon rock. Mm -hmm. So that when the storms of life come, and they always do, Mm -hmm. your house stands. So again, he's not saying if you believe I'm correct, your house will stand. <laughs> right. right. He's saying if you put these words into practice, it's actually in the scriptures, right? Uh, yeah. I never caught that. Right. How do um, we miss that? <laughs> I know. I know. Right. You know, some of it, this is maybe a little, I don't mean to be overly critique, but in the system I grew up in, we didn't start, we didn't always start with Jesus. And um, Jesus is so clear what he was inviting us into. So. Yeah, that's so, so good. agreed. So good. All right. So you're how old when this crisis hits you? <laughs> yeah, I'm probably 23 or something. Okay. okay. So pretty first early. job. Yeah. Yeah. So first job, your worship pastor. Now, is this at your father-in-law's church? Yeah, this is at Willow Creek. First time I was the high school worship leader. Okay. Okay. So and then so you're right out of college. And you're married. Yeah. yeah, I think we had just got married. Shauna and I both were on the same staff. And so for a year, she wouldn't even talk to me. And I (laughs) chased her around for a year. And then finally, I wore her down. And then we started dating. And then a year and a half after that, we got married. So it was right in that dating, engagement, married season. Okay. Okay. So 
how in the world do you process this with your new bride as you're like, yeah. hey, I'm on stage and I'm not quite sure I believe this anymore. I know when you yeah. married me, I was like, I love Jesus yeah. and this is all good. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah, don't yeah. know. Process through that because I'm sure there's people listening yeah. going, how in the world do you have that conversation with your spouse? Oh, absolutely. And I think the good thing is Shauna is so honest about her own faith. So she wasn't scandalized, actually. You know, we've had, like every marriage, we've had issues that were really difficult that we couldn't wrestle to the ground right away. Mm -hmm. This actually wasn't one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, some of my other friends, this was really difficult. And they thought I was losing my faith, which I kind of was. They're kind of right. You know, thought I was becoming a heretic and all those kinds of things. And And that's okay. Maybe I was in some ways. But thank God I had a couple other friends who are not afraid That's good. and just said, they didn't try to fix me. Mm. They just, Hey, let's talk more. Tell me why. Yeah. You know, and a couple friends walk with me and I, and my parents too, my parents grew up in a very conservative Christian container and they loved me through this whole thing. They were worried and they prayed for me and all that, but they never shamed me. And mm. I just think the world of them. So that's yeah. awesome. Was she feeling it too when you came to her with kind of this this wrestle going on inside of you? Was she feeling it too, or was she like, "I don't know what you're talking about"? Yeah, not not in the same way. You know, so many of us grew up in more conservative circles, and we're trying to find new life. What we're missing is the spark, is the energy, is the modern part of faith. Well, she grew up in a church that had already rejected all of the old and was now only new. So her work is way more tethering the really compelling, exciting modern to something more historic. So in a lot of ways, her and I have been going in opposite directions in our faith but whenever we overlap, it's like this really healthy both and. Oh, that's so, such a yeah. great way to say it. I love yeah. that. You're kind of moving towards each other, but from right. opposite directions. Right, right. That's awesome. Like we've been joking, you know, often what we need is the exact opposite in the moment. You know, <laughs> right. it brings right. us to this both and place together, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. And I just have to ask, since we're talking about it, you're a four, right, on yep. the Enneagram? And yep. she's a seven? Seven. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So f- what does that look like for you guys on this journey coming together? Yeah, I think fours and sevens are the most exciting and not <laughs> the true. easiest. True, Because <laughs> yes. we're both like so much energy, like neither of us are the uh, whatever you want, dear. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, but yet I'm always trying to push, like plumb the depths and push mm-hmm. down and, and she's always like, why would you do that? Like, let's, there's so much goodness in the world. There's so much beauty. Let's, let's party, you know? And again, left to our own devices, I'm going to get really weird and all trapped in the depths of despair. And she's going to be out drinking every night, you know, (laughs) but, but when we can join each other and not just give in to the other, but like see the goodness of the other, I am so much a better person when I'm around her for any length of time. And I hope she would say the same. I'm sure she would. I love that. Well, she's not here. So clearly she <laughs> yeah, would say yeah. that. And it's, she'd say yeah. so many great yeah. things, right? Sure she, yeah, she tells me she's the luckiest person. <laughs> yeah, in the whole exactly. And she's never <laughs> yeah. been. Yeah. yeah. Yep, so. yep, sure. <laughs> that is awesome. Okay, Aaron, I love this part of the book when you say, and I'm just going to read it. In this okay. polarized time, it can feel as if we only have two choices. Give in. Or give up. We can turn off our hearts and just stay where we are, or we can break our hearts and walk away from faith entirely. But you say these are terrible choices, and thankfully, they're not the only ones. So, what is the third way forward? Yeah, yeah. That kind of dualistic choice, give in or or give up, is very personal. That's what I thought. I thought as my faith was falling apart. Do I just do I just pretend? It'd be so much easier to just pretend. Yeah, I believe all this stuff mm. enough, you know. Yeah. But let the fire go out, you know. Let my heart just close down and just yeah, yeah. It's I believe this stuff, you know. And 
people do that and good people do that for a lot of reasons. But then the opposite, we see that all the time too, where people are just like, well, the whole Jesus thing, uh, no thanks. It's just too broken. And I also understand the very legitimate reasons people come to that conclusion, Mm -hmm. but I think it's a dead end too. They're both dead ends. And so what I'm appealing for, and again, it's because I needed it so desperately, is there really is this way forward. And some of it, uh, I talk later in the book about this include and transcend idea. Can we talk a little about that? Yes, please. I love that. Yeah, it's simply the idea that we can learn and receive the gift of where we are and where we've been, but we don't have to stay there. Mm -hmm. We can bring that gift into a bigger future. For many of us, say we're on a journey, step one, step two, step three, step four. Obviously, real life is not that linear, but for, you know, when we're moving from step three to step four, the easiest thing to do is hate step three. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing we were a part of is the stupidest thing, right? <laughs> but yes. here, the reality is step three got us here. Yeah. Like without step three, there is no step four. Right. Yeah. Now we couldn't stay there and thank God. And so that's that one bad version of, well, step three, I guess, is all there is. Mm-hmm. I'll just kind of set up camp here and, and stay here. No, no, there's so much more. Right. But step three is also a gift to the future. And so this include and transcend idea helps us see step one plus a little bit bigger step two plus step three. You know, are there things from step three we need to let go of? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We can't bring everything forward. There are some things that are toxic. There are some things that are unhelpful. There are some things that need to be rejected. So I'm not saying, oh, everything's great. Just, you know, but the idea of either or, either my my tradition that I grew up in was the only right way or it was only terrible people lying. <laughs> right. That's, just, that's yeah. just not true. Right. Right. And neither is the step we're in right now yeah. when we look back and neither right. is where we're going. And so this include and transcend idea, I hope gives us some language for a little bit bigger. So for me, it was, you know, spending a lot of years in really modern pop kind of white evangelical spaces. And, uh, you know, especially you watch the news right now, there are a lot of reasons to critique that container and they're appropriate critiques. However, there are a number of things from my tradition that I'm holding on to like crazy. Um, my uh, spiritual director is a Jesuit priest. And whenever he would come to the practice, he would say, Aaron, I love how your people actually sing during worship. <laughs> He's like, I lead mass and nobody mm. sings, you know. And he reminds me like the energy that we bring to our faith is really beautiful. And he, he'd probably, if he was on this podcast, he'd probably list five or six other things about American evangelicalism, which is so broken and so unhelpful in so many ways right now. But he would tell us the good and beautiful parts that we need to include even as we move into a bigger space. Is that Yes, helpful? that's so great. Tell people what the practice is. Who, how yeah, heard that. the practice is... We just said, we want to be a community that doesn't just believe things about Jesus, but learns how to rearrange our our lives to put his words into practice for the sake of the world. So basically, we were a Sunday night. It was more contemplative. It was modern, but also liturgical. It was practice-based, not come, sing, and hear stuff, (laughs) but come, sing, hear stuff, and then let's do stuff together that then we can do all week long. So yeah, it was experimental. It's on its fifth year now. I was a part of the first four years, and then I transitioned last summer. And now my friend Jason Pfeffer, who is just this wonderful pastor, he's been leading it. And I actually got to go back two weeks ago and share the message and the and the practice, and it was such a fun homecoming. And That's so, awesome. Yeah. 
So it's a great third step. It was a great third step for you, so. you go back, right? You know, <laughs> whatever step you're on. Yeah. Yes. So I, I want to just take a second and talk about, you know, you were inside of a church on staff. I want to talk about the creation and the formation of the practice yeah. and the conversations that went into that. Because yeah. as I engage guys on staffs, they're like, I would love to do something like the practice, but they people feel like they have a third eye or they're, you know, just yeah. crazy. How yeah. did those conversations come to be? Because you, this is under the, the umbrella of Willow Creek, right? In right. one of the biggest churches, most evangelical churches, and this is very opposite of, of what that looks like right. on a Sunday morning. So can you talk through that? Yeah. Well, it came out of a really difficult season, so I have to be honest, because after I was at Mars Hill, I came back to Willow to be one of the worship leaders. The problem is, while at Mars, I had already been like converted to <laughs> a more practice-based, right. a more ecumenical perspective. I didn't want to do the normal four pop songs in a hymn. Like I just, that is a good way to worship God, but it's not nearly enough. And so for four years on the weekend service, I tried to bring different practices. And one week we'd do some silence and we, we tried Lexio Divina. We try like just all these different things. Um, most of them were okay. A couple of them were awesome. A couple of them were like, Hey, don't ever do that. again. <laughs> uh, what was that? What was that? Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> but it was, it was four years of like beating my head against a brick wall. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I could talk for an hour about my assessment of what was going on and and why it worked and didn't work and all that. But at a certain point, our senior pastor, Bill, just pulled me aside and said, just so you know, we're never going to do this stuff on the weekend service. He said, that's not what these services are for, which I was like, oh my gosh, okay, today's my last day on staff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then he said, but we know people need it. And what I appreciated is he said, we know we're not doing enough to help Christ-centered people go deep. We know it. So would you consider starting this other uh, gathering? And that became the practice. And that was the practice. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm really as difficult as being a part of, of Willow was in those ways and many others. That was just a tremendous gift. I had been on staff probably, including the first time, nine years. So, you know, I had I had been there and they knew my heart, even if they thought what I was doing was crazy. So I'm really grateful that they uh, gave us not just the permission, but the blessing yeah. to do something. So neat. What a great opportunity to learn and grow and be a part of something like that. All right. Yeah. Well, let's Let's go back to this crisis of faith, right? You discover yeah. this river and you choose to jump all in. So you're moving yeah. forward in this new way, this third way that you're talking about. And then you realize, uh, I need some swimming lessons. I need some <laughs> tools to figure out how to swim. Yeah. And yeah. before we go any further, I do want to make sure and clarify. People know you're not actually talking about jumping in an actual river. You know, this is all <laughs> metaphorical. Metaphor. But how did yes. you learn how to swim? Yes. What were some of the new tools that you discovered? What a great question. Well, I think where this started was when I was at Mars Hill, and I didn't share this this story in the book, but it was really formative. The first couple of years at Mars Hill changed my life. What Rob was talking about at the time, the books we were reading, I mean, it was an elder at Mars Hill who gave me my first Richard Rohr book. Mm. And I just never, I honestly, I'd never read a Catholic author before. Was it Everything Belongs? Belongs, yeah. 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 I got handed that book years ago. (laughs) So like it was all, you know, this was all changing and it was so formative. And But I remember about two years in, maybe three years in, where I would get done with a Sunday and it was so exciting. But I remember my brain kind of subconsciously, the question that it was provoking was, wow, I wonder what Rob will say next week. Hmm. Because I had no idea what to do with any of this. Yeah. So like I had my mind blown on Sunday and we talked about it at lunch and then we got ready for work the next day. And by Monday morning, I was like, well, I don't know what to do with any of that, mm-hmm. but it was sure cool, you know. And I started thinking, man, I don't think teaching is enough because if Rob Bell at his like prime superpower, <laughs> oh, yeah. if Rob Bell's teaching is not enough on its own to like actually change my life in tangible ways. 
then teaching is not. There's got to be more. Right. So it's kind of an interesting back doorway to realize I think I had idealized, well, I just haven't been around the right kind of teaching or good enough teaching. or yeah. Well, I was and it wasn't enough. And so it just began by I want to learn from anyone who has something to teach me. So I mentioned Richard Rohr. I uh, started reading outside of my normal, acceptable circle of books, you mm -hmm. know. I was leaving for a, a trip once and a book that my mother-in-law had given me like a year before, uh, Open Heart, Open Mind, about uh, centering prayer. I just grabbed it, threw it in my backpack. And I, I share this whole story in the book, so I won't go into all the details. But I'd never heard of centering prayer. And I was in a real, a real moment of pain on this little trip. And I just read through the book and I said, I'm going to do centering prayer every day for 20 minutes. I'm just going to, who knows? I'm just going to try it. And it was unbelievably transformative mm -hmm. in a way I just couldn't have imagined this evangelical worship leader, white dude who grew up Protestant his whole life, practices centering prayer and it opens up space with Christ that I had never experienced. And so it was just like learning, listening. It started with books, but then it moved into friendships into relationships. And that's where it, some of the learning really accelerated. I'm rambling a little bit. No, that's, that's so true. great. And I, I just want to get even more practical because I know yeah. there's people listening, they're going to go, okay, they're Googling Centering Prayer right now and they're finding all kinds of stuff. Would you just in the most concise way that you can explain what that looks like, at least for you in your practice of it so that somebody listening who's like, I'm in, I want to do this. Yeah. I'm putting aside, you know, 20 minutes a day. What does that yeah. look like? Yeah. Well, centering prayer is a, a very simple way, especially the Christian practice of centering prayer is a very simple way to get out of the pressure of having to have words and thoughts for everything, mm -hmm. but just to create this silence. And it's terrifying, <laughs> but silence for God to do what only God can do. Mm. So I know I have got, my prayers were so wordy, you know, mm. sit down, hello God, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what I want you to do about it. Amen. Yeah. And then I go on with my day, you know, and yeah. that's appropriate. You know, you look at the Psalms and the right. Psalmist is pouring out his heart to, to God and that's really appropriate. But there's also something that can happen when we listen. Mm -hmm. And centering prayer is just a very simple way to create. They say, uh, you know, you can start with five minutes, but kind of 20 minutes is, is a way. And you have a word that helps you consent to God's presence. And it sounds a little like, um, <laughs> to my fundamentalist ears, you know, in the circles I grew up at, it sounds very weird. <laughs> and yet the practice of it was sitting in the presence of God and resisting my temptation to fill it all with words. Mm. So, yeah, so wildly. Yeah. What do you think? Because I, I imagine there's people listening going, like, what? I, I got to yeah. get something accomplished. <laughs> I got to check a box. Sure. Right. right. When you've talked to people who have uh, discovered this and maybe stepped into this a little bit, what are some of the, maybe the things that have held them up from doing it or freaks them out or scares them or the fears that yeah. they have? Like what were some yeah. of the thing, main things that you've heard of people saying, I tried this and this is what I learned about myself because it's yeah. hard to sit in silence like that. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's terrible to sit in silence. And I was so bad and I'm still quite terrible at it. Um, you know, I think, I think maybe what needs to be said is most of us only choose these practices when we're desperate. Mm -hmm. You know, Richard Rohr says we only change in an experience of great love or great pain. Mm. Um, and so you know, just speaking from experience, when my life is going kind of how I want it to go and everything's relatively good and comfortable, um, why would I sit for 20 minutes in silence? It's like such hard work, you know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in this season that I'm telling you about, we had just, Sean and I had just had our hearts broken and we were getting away for three weeks to try to just pick up the pieces. And so this was not like, oh, this will be an interesting practice to add to my Christian. It was desperation. And in my experience, desperation is usually the invitation into the next deeper stream. Um, 
So yeah, that's probably not good news. No, it's <laughs> um, so great. It is. It's important. Yeah. I think it's important for people who are listening right now going, okay, yeah. one, I don't want to get to the extreme high or extreme low, but what can I do in this moment? And just yeah. be more desperate for God to enter yeah. their life. Yeah. So hopefully that's the place where people get desperate for. Yeah. I love that. Yep. So, okay, you, so you say this plays out, these disciplines and these things that you encounter, yeah. this plays out both in our personal faith and together with our faith communities. So yeah. there's things we need to learn to do personally, but there's also things that can only happen when we come together in community. So give us an right. example of what you're talking about coming together in community. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll go back to Mars Hill. Okay. When I got to Mars Hill, we were talking about this wide kingdom theology about this big invitation of what God's doing, not just in us, but through us in the world. Okay. Well, I show up at Mars and I open up my worship leader toolbox and all I have is four pop songs and a hymn. (laughs) It's the only tool I had. And so I kept bringing it Sunday after Sunday, just realizing it's really good, but it can't possibly contain the width and the height. And okay. Mm -hmm. So so that's what sparked like, well, I want to learn from some other traditions and some other, what is this word liturgy? Like liturgy was a dirty word when I was growing <laughs> up. Why do people do the same thing every week? And, you know, yeah. started learning and, and my wife was asking me about it one day and I was trying to explain why I'm really exploring these other streams. And she put it into words brilliantly. She said, oh, wait, so basically you just want to serve a well-balanced meal every Sunday. Mm. And that was it. I had been serving for probably at that time, 15 years. Every Sunday, I'd been serving the same meal, Mm. wondering why my community wasn't getting healthier. And so realizing there's all these different food groups that we had never even tasted. So a couple of examples. Because obviously the analogy breaks down at a certain point. And, and <laughs> we're in the river, we're eating, we're eating kale, well-balanced we've meals. Got, yeah. <laughs> There's gin and tonic. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go really far on the other side. Lament. One third of the book of Psalms are laments. If you look at the top 100 worship songs in America right now, do you know what percentage of them are laments? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero. Yeah. Zero. We would never, a song like that would never get played very many times. But here's the thing. As human beings, what do we do when our hearts get broken? Right. Well, we're learning, don't go to church because they're going to force us to pretend we're happy. What a crime. God doesn't require that. The scriptures didn't reflect that. Our container says we only have a couple tools in our toolbox, and one of the main ones is God is great, and life is going to be good, and he's turned my morning into dancing. And, and again, that's all good. That's true. God is good, and joy is real, and hope is possible. And we have to learn how to weep. Mm-hmm. And so a very simple practice, and not easy, but very simple, is to create space for lament. Um, maybe every Sunday, maybe once a month, however it works in the rhythms of the community. One that we, a practice that we added when the election season, this is a year and a half or two years when the election was really rolling and it was getting so nasty and we were thinking humans are going to blow up the world. (laughs) But we kept noticing, you know, what would Jesus have to say about this? Mm. Well, bless your enemies, pray for those who persecute you that you shall be children of your father in heaven. Like it was so clear, mm-hmm. but we had no practices <laughs> that would help us do this. Like, mm-hmm. where's the worship song that's about, you know, loving our enemies and blessing those who curse us. And so we said, you know what, for the next foreseeable future, we're going to pray a blessing on one of our enemies. And we just instituted it and yeah. people hated it. <laughs> and we hated it. It was terrible. And so sometimes we'd say, all right, um, tonight, we're going to pray for one of our global enemies. So maybe it was Assad in Syria who's doing horrible things. Again, we're not blessing their actions, but we're trying to name they too were created in God's image. And so Jesus, for some crazy reason, says pray for them. So we're going to. Um, some weeks it would get a little closer to home. One week we put up a dual picture of Hillary Clinton <laughs> and Donald Trump up on the screen. No kidding. And we said, 
We're going to take two minutes and I want you to pray for the one you don't want to pray for. Mm. <laughs> the one you're, you're leaning toward. Pray for the other one and pray for their family and pray for their marriage and pray for their, like, it was, again, it was terrible. We hated it. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, but then the third step where we'd often get is there's probably someone in your life who's become like an enemy. Hmm. And maybe something happened at work last week, or maybe this was a family member from 20 years ago or whatever. Would you pray that God would bless them today? Would you, you know, and again, it was this little simple container that made space for us to put Jesus words into practice. We all believed them. We'd all read that in the gospels, you know, pray for your enemies and bless. We just didn't ever do it. <laughs> and so creating spaces when we were together to do that was both terrible and utterly transformational. I mean, who did we become 52 Sundays in a row naming an enemy and praying that God would bless them? I think it really began to shift some things in us. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's great. So, all right. So you've hit on a couple different pieces. The, the actual practical application of like doing these things, putting me into practice. Yeah. But you've even talked about a moment of how those practices can draw you closer to God, like really yeah. bring an intimate encounter with your creator. The piece that I just want to make sure, and maybe you've encountered this in your own life, but sometimes we have to be careful that we just don't turn the practices into check boxes. And we're just yep. turning it into a doing thing. Okay, I'm earning yep. my uh, ticket yep. into heaven and God yep. loves me because I do. So can you talk yep. a little bit about that, how those all kind of mix together and we don't find ourselves on that side of the fence? That is so good. We are already invited into the river because God is good. There is no set of activities that earn our way into the river. There is no character test. There is no beliefs, click off these. We are invited to come to Christ, all who are thirsty, right? So maybe that's the requirement. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Are you desperate? If you are, Jesus says, come. Now, let me teach you how to swim in it. I don't want you to drown. Right. Um, But come, you're invited. And so I think that is so key. I'm so glad you brought this up because a surface reading of it is just a new version of what the Pharisees were doing. Right. You know, here's yeah. all the laws. We'll impress God if we click them all off. Right. Yeah. And I think Jesus is saying there is nothing you can do to make the river flow. It is flowing because I am good. Yes. <laughs> so good. You are invited because I am good. God is saying, now let me teach you. You know, it's, it's like gardening. I am not a gardener. The only thing I grow is the weeds in the crack of the <laughs> sidewalk that I don't pull. Um, right. But here's the thing. I don't care who you are. You cannot make a plant grow. Only God through nature makes plants grow. You cannot make a single seed turn into anything else. But you better believe your actions as a gardener create the space for it to grow in a healthy way. Good. And that's the tension there. Um, we acknowledge all the work is God's. All the life is from God. All the blessing is from God. All we're doing is either opening our hands to receive it or closing our hands to not receive it. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's like so good. standing under a waterfall and there's nothing we can do to make the waterfall flow. It's drenching us. Mm-hmm. Right. God has given us the ability to close ourselves off from every drop. Like, think about that. Like the humility of God to say, I'm going to pour blessing on you every second of your life from the moment you're conceived to your final breath. I'm going to never stop pouring blessing, but I'm going to give you the power to reject it every day. Mm. It's bonkers when you think about it, but it's the insane gift and grace of these practices. I have a friend who says every spiritual discipline is basically the same thing. It's a simple way to offer our bodies as living sacrifice. So, or maybe I would just say it's just another way to open our hands to receive the blessing that's been flowing all along. So So I think I'm rambling a little bit. This is such an important point. We don't earn anything. It's already given. Yeah. But we can 
stop ignoring it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is help us stop ignoring what's already ours. That's so good. So let's take a second because those people are listening going like, what are these practices? <laughs> like you keep saying practice, practice what? Yeah. Like, so I want to hear from you. Maybe just yep. uh, if you want to talk about a couple of them. And I want to hear from you like, What's one that really surprised you that maybe you were like, I fell in love with this practice. And then yep. maybe what's a practice that you go, Whew, I'm still working on that one. That one's yeah. a tough one for me. Oh, man. Well, there's a, um, and these are all in the book, but there's a, a set of some real historic practices. Mm -hmm. And probably the best book for this is Celebration of the Discipline by Richard Foster. Mm -hmm. And he talks through the historic list of practices of absence and engagement. Mm -hmm. And so there's practices like silence, bringing silence into our lives, mm -hmm. especially in the world today. You know, putting down the phone for yeah. just a minute, mm -hmm. going through withdrawal for, <laughs> for the minute. <laughs> so real. Yeah. And then engaging God through silence. Mm -hmm. There's a practice of simplicity, of really looking through what do we have that we don't need? Mm -hmm. In what ways does stuff have a hold on our hearts? Mm -hmm. And how would the practice of letting go of some of that set us free? Um, there's the practice of Sabbath. I heard someone say once, Sabbath is the only one of the Ten Commandments that most of us brag about breaking. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's wild. It's right there. Like the 10, yeah. we don't, <laughs> for some reason, we just, we don't do that. And yet the human body and soul, we have these rhythms, this six on one off rhythm hardwired in. Yeah. And again, we don't do Sabbath to impress God. So he blesses us. We do Sabbath to consent to the reality of how we're made, yeah. how we're made to operate. So there's, you know, there's this historic list of all these practices. There's obviously giving generosity is a mm -hmm. huge practice. You see it all through the scriptures and it's not because the people need our money. It's because we need to let go of our money yeah. and it does things inside of us. And so, yeah, so again, there's many of these practices and many of them are um, very simple, um, not easy, but very, very simple concepts. And then there's uh, a whole set of practices that our Christian tradition has given us over the generations. One, the one that's probably meant the most to me is the prayer of examine. And I talk a lot about this in the book. Mm -hmm. um, can I just do like 20 seconds on the exam. Yes, please. Do it. Yeah. The basic idea is setting aside 15 minutes a day to look back on the day and notice God's fingerprints. Mm. That's it. That's so And good. The, the insight is most of us jump from activity to next activity to next activity. So we have this experience. We're like, wow, that was great. All right. The next thing is, and we never stop to notice what was God doing? Yeah. In that conversation with my brother. That's so good. Like he said that thing. And either on one side, it made me so mad. Mm. Why was I so triggered? God, what, what are you doing? Or he said that thing and it touched something so deep inside. Mm -hmm. God, what were you trying to say to me? You know, we rarely stop and notice. And so this examine is just five steps. We invite the spirit to lead us. We review the day in thanksgiving. We always start with what's right, which is an Enneagram four is so difficult. <laughs> Step three, we notice the emotions that begin to pop as we review the day. Like I was talking with my brother, you're like, wow, he said that thing. And suddenly this emotion came up. Mm -hmm. God, what was that about? Step four is we hold one or two of those emotions before God and just say, let me tell you about it. What do you want to say about that? Just being curious. And then step five is looking forward to the future and hope. What did I learn from this exam? And what did I learn today that can launch me into the next day? Again, really simple. It has changed my prayer life. It is changed. Like this is hyperbolic, but I think in this case, it's actually true. It has changed how I open my myself up to God. It's just it's such a simple practice, yeah. 15 minutes a day. That's awesome. I love it. Okay, last question before we hit our lightning round. We close okay. out with a lightning round. Oh, good. My last question is just, you know, we have all been there before or we know somebody in our life right now who's hit that wall that we talked about earlier. They're ready to give up yeah. or give in. Yep. How do we 
serve them well. Like you said, your family served you well in that moment. How do we serve them well and point them to the river? That's so good. A couple quick responses. One, don't try to fix them. And I think that's especially important because very often the death we're experiencing is the only way to the new life that God is trying to bring. So if we try to stop the death, we are stopping the new life. So how dare we get in the way of what God's doing because it makes us feel uncomfortable, right? And so to join in that, and it's so complicated. I mean, it's the Paschal mystery, like resurrection only comes after death. So how do we join people we love in the death Mm. without their souls dying? And and that's the tension, right? Because there is a death, um, worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Right. Worldly sorrow was Judas. Mm -hmm. And he went out and hung himself. Yeah. Godly sorrow was Peter, and he wept bitterly, and Jesus built the church on him. So so how do we help our loved ones discern where the godly sorrow is, where the worldly sorrow is, um, and then fight to keep them out of the worldly sorrow? Yeah. But don't we dare try to stop them from the godly sorrow. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Maybe the second thing too would be to just continue to do our own work. Mm. Um, I think the most freeing thing our friends can see is their friends being free, being set free. Yeah. And so as we find deeper joy, um, we don't have to convince them of anything. Mm -hmm. Um, We get to share some of that deeper joy with them. So maybe they're just... That is so helpful. Thank you. What I love is that you saw it firsthand in the friends that decided to say, you know what? True. I'm going to hang real close and be quiet and then sometimes talk when asked. And so, yep. Maybe it's back to our theme where where we started was um, you're not crazy and you're not alone. You're not alone. (laughs) Yeah. May we be people who remind each other you're not crazy, you're not alone. I love that. I think that's the title of this episode. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) You're not alone. Or we're all crazy. We're We're all crazy, but we're not alone. We're just a little crazy. (laughs) Just fine with that. I love it. Oh, that's awesome. All right. We're going to jump into these final three questions that we ask every single guest. And it goes a little bit like this. What's a book that's changed your life? What's a habit that's changed your life? And what one piece of advice would you give to the younger you? So let's start Uh off with the first one. What's a book that's changed your life? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, um, Dallas Willard, The Divine Conspiracy was the turning point of my life. And I share a little bit about it right in the first chapter, but it was the first time I had ever heard about the kingdom of God. This topic that Jesus did the most teaching about, I'd never heard about it. <laughs> I've been in church for 20 years. You've been on staff. You've been on staff been on, at church. I've yeah. been on staff at church. And I didn't know about the topic that Jesus talked the most about, but it set me free. It, it opened up an entirely new invitation. We, we, we get to join what God is doing to redeem and restore all things. Like this whole operation isn't about waiting for heaven and not drinking and smoking. <laughs> like there's more, there's more to being a Christian than, um, waiting till I'm married. Like really there's more. And the, the answer was, infinitely more. You've been invited, like you actually, you have been invited to join with what I'm doing, God's saying. So anyways, so the the divine conspiracy, it's not a light read. It's really dry. And maybe it's back to that desperation thing. I was falling apart and God used it to bring me back. So always thankful for that. Love it. Um, Second question. The second question is, what's a discipline or habit that's changed your life? We kind of already talked a lot about that. But I know. I, I would be making up a number two. Yeah. It's, the, it's the examine. Yeah, okay. The exam. And the two parts about it was the everyday noticing mm-hmm. instead of just on to the next thing. I yeah. love dreaming about the future. But just what did I experience? And not judging it, but just being curious. That's but so then good. also, like I mentioned, review the day in Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Begin with what's right. Mm. When we begin with what's right, like the deepest reality of the universe is abundance. Mm. There's enough. Yeah. There's enough. 
Now, it, that gets broken. And so that's the next part of the prayer where we name what isn't, but we have to start with what is the most true. And that's that is so great. Good. Yeah. That is awesome. Love it. Okay. Yeah. And what's one piece of advice you would give to the 23-year-old Aaron? Oh, man. Probably be a lot kinder to yourself. Mm. I think I was way too hard on myself, which then spilled out on being hard on everyone around me. So as mm. I, I mean, 22-year-old Aaron was a real joy to be around. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, man, I was so earnest. And there was something good about that. But I was so like, I'm going to get this right. And I'm going to not, you know, like just gritted teeth and passion. Yeah. <laughs> and again, the passion was good. Yeah. And I, I don't ever right. want to lose that passion. Sure. But it was so white knuckled. And it was mostly pointed at myself. And if I could put my arm around 22 year old Aaron, I just say, Hey, he's not that bad of a guy. Like he's going to get there. He's kind of dumb and he's making a lot of messes, but he's going to be okay. You know? Yeah, that's great. So good. What an amazing conversation. So, all right. I know there's people listening. They're going to go, Oh my gosh, where the heck do I follow this guy? Where do I find (laughs) his book? How can I get all of it? Tell us all that fun info. Yeah. Well, like you said, the book, the eternal current, how practice-based faith can save us from drowning. It's on Amazon and then, you know, Barnes and Noble and, and wherever, wherever fine books are sold. (laughs) (laughs) The tagline. Um, So yeah, you can find it in most places. Uh, My website is where I'm trying to bring everything and it's just AaronNequist.com. So it two ends, A-A-R-O-N-N-I-E-Q-U-I-S-T. And that has like this new liturgy project that we've been doing that has a truckload of resources for the book you know i tried to pack the book with resources but i there's more and so you know i'm trying to say hey if you are intrigued by this concept here's a way to do it mm-hmm. and so trying to do that on the website okay we'll link to all of it in the show notes yeah. so people yeah, can yeah. come find you follow you all the fun stuff yeah yeah jump awesome. in the river such Just a great conversation go jump, jump in the river, river. Jump yes in the river. together Let's do it. thank you you're Aaron. not crazy you're not alone. You're not you're alone. Not. <laughs> Great conversation. Yeah. Thanks for your passion and excitement about the topic too. That's contagious. Thanks, man. So, thank talk you. To you. Yeah. What a powerful conversation. It really was. Oh man, I'm gonna be thinking about this one for a really, really long time. Yeah, this is a replay for sure. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope this episode blessed you as well, and we'd love it if you take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review. And as always, you can find all the information for today's episode on our show notes over at our website, letsliveitwell.com. Well, that's a wrap on this episode, guys. We're going to close it out like we do every single time. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it it well. well.